Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. They're called incarcerated people now. Started out as convicts, offenders. Now it's incarcerated people. My uh, good friend, Serge Leclerc, who uh, passed away a few years ago, once declared Canada's most dangerous criminal, spent more than 20 years in special handling units in maximum security prisons, ran a $40 million drug lab while he was on parole and fooled the parole officer every time because the parole officer never went to check on him. Serge changed his life on his own. And he became an advisor um, and helper to kids who were on drugs. And he said, I told me many times, I'm going to try to make up for my crimes one child at a time. And then as those of you who live in Saskatoon who remember not so long ago, you voted Serge Leclerc into the provincial government. So um, he was uh, quite an amazing man. But he had little respect, none for the, uh, for the justice system. He thought it was a joke. I did programs inside Canadian prisons. I wanted to take him with me so he could be part of the broadcast. And the correctional service system, which had had him in their, in their clutches for, for decades, didn't want him back in to do a radio program because they were afraid that he would say what he knew. He would tell on them. So they said, yeah, Roy, you can come in and do the program, which we did, as I told you. But you can't bring Serge Leclerc in, and he and I both thought that was particularly entertaining. But here we are. Here's another story. And you know my guests. I'm about to speak to them, but let me just tell you this. A double convicted first-degree murderer whose parole hearing, at which he was going to seek unrestricted parole, has been deferred from December the 8th to early 2024. Why has it been deferred? Let's see now. Oh, yeah. Because the double-convicted first-degree murderer demanded that. And the Canadian justice system allows and supports such a demand at the expense of the victim's family. You with me? In this case, the family of Don Edwards, former Team Canada and Buffalo Sabres goaltender, Lovey murdered Don's parents in 19... 91. And Don's been on this program a number of times recently. And I know that, because I've, I've known the Edwards family for, well, since that time, since 1991. And they're wonderful people. This whole family are wonderful people. And they work so hard to keep themselves um, healthy with this monster lurking in the background. He's threatened them from jail. And, uh, and now he, because George, George Lovey doesn't want to have the parole hearing on December the 8th. Remember, double convicted first-degree murderer. He doesn't want the parole hearing on the 8th of December. He wants it next year. Oh, sure, George. We'll do that for you, says the justice system. Don Edwards joins us with his wife, Tannis. This is uh, this is just grotesque, Don Tannis. This is this is 
This is piling horror on violence for you, isn't it? It, it is, Roy, and, and uh, I just want to start out by saying thank you. Uh, we cannot express in words how much we appreciate your support and all of the citizens that can stand behind us um, through all these years and still trying to put our best foot forward to change some of the justice system. I'd like to also say, too, that Lovey. He asked for full parole. He asked for the December 8th date. We all put our statements in, which he has the right to see 15 days prior. And then he withdraws his application, and he wants it in March of 2024. My mother and father-in-law were murdered on March 21st, 1991. I'm wondering if he wants that date to see us. Wow. Don? Well, you know, Roy, um, we've talked many times. Our family, in preparing for parole hearing, for our hearts out in writing victim impact statements, as I've mentioned many times, many of us struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, another family member uh, struggles now with Parkinson's disease, which is also stress-related, directly related to this case. Um, in writing those statements, it's not easy. It relives a lot of old memories, but uh, we have to do it. Uh, it's plain and simple. When someone kills two people and tries to kill another, and also threatens to um, harm your children. Um, it's just not one nightmare, it's many nightmares because the nightmare with this individual and this felon never ends because there is always that threat out there and we see him as a serious threat. And uh, he has a lot of liberties already. He lives, uh, last count I heard was four nights a week in his own apartment. How he affords anything, given the fact he's literally never had a job. I don't think they pay minimum wage in prison. Uh, but somehow he has money to uh, to get an apartment and do the things he wants to do. So, and, and you know what? I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I know the listeners across the country are recoiling each time they hear, you write a victim's impact statement, Tannis, you write a victim's impact statement, which is massively difficult, and he gets to see it, essentially approve of it, two weeks before the parole board hearing. Yes. Yes, that is true, Roy. And also, uh, I just wanted to mention that in my statement this time, I stayed away from uh, the um, psychological side of it, being how hurtful and just how much that we struggle every day with it and how to protect our children and their children. This time I went and read everything that's on the parole board website about what they want to hear and the risk to society, um, not just the risk to us and if he has been uh, rehabilitated enough to join society. So mine was more about where's he getting the money from? How does he live? He never worked. How does he get CPP? Does he, who buys his bus ticket? Like there's a thousand things that we want to know, which we're not 
Um, we don't have the rights to see the Corrections Services Canada uh, release program for him. The only people that see that is the parole board. So he may have something totally different in there that we are aware of that he has some money. I don't know, maybe won the lottery or something. I'm not, I'm not sure. But at this point, we are not privy to where his funding will come to live in the society that takes most of us husband and wife to work to sustain any, uh, well-being and owning a home or things of that nature. Yeah. Ryan, Ryan, in my statement, you know, basically I focused on a little bit going back to the sexual assault and lawful confinement with a weapon that Levy was charged with prior to the murders, which the Crown Prosecution decided to rescind after the he was found guilty of the two counts of first-degree murder, one count of attempted murder, they decided to, you know, not to conform with it. Um, so I focused a little bit more on that. And I asked the following question, because as you know, Lovey is asked to visit some areas that are very sensitive to us. They're areas, they're regions that are close to family. Um, he, you know, he's asked to go to Brantford, uh, which is virtually eight miles away from Caledonia, which is a very prominent place where the Edwards family reside. You know, he's asked to go to Grimsby. I believe that's where he has a brother that lives. And, you know, that's virtually 12 miles away from the, the, my mother and father's former residence. But um, and we know that, you know, in, in, in gaining in, in gathering the evidence and in court testimony, it became quite apparent that Lovey was guilty of the sexual assault and unlawful, unlawful confinement with a weapon. So I asked the following questions, you know, because we know that Lovey stalked Michelle um, after the sexual assault and lawful confinement. And I said, and, and basically I just asked them, it is well documented that Lovey stalked my sister during these visits. Lovey volunteered to wear an ankle bracelet, which was not applied by Correction Services of Canada. Who made that decision? Why was there no enforcement or tracking monitor? Why were the original police departments in these localities not contacted? Who was responsible for tracking Lovey's daily life? So it goes back to what you said earlier about your friend. And, you know, to say that there isn't faults in uh, Correctional Services of Canada and holes in, in the system and their professionalism to follow up and really monitor this guy or anybody that's been a convicted felon of, of this serious nature, it's quite apparent that there is a real gap and dangerous situation in Canada. Yeah, and no question. Uh, Serge Leclerc used to, uh, he, he would point out the, and he would come on the air with me, come right into this studio. And he got into a debate one day with a criminal lawyer who was defending the system, and Serge had him for lunch um, because he knew the system. He knew, he knew who, how it favored the, as he called, he refused to say offender, he said convict. You were convicted of something, you're a convict, you lose your rights. And yet here we are with George Lovey, who murdered your parents, your parents-in-law, Tannis, uh, and, you know, murdered the parents and parents-in-law of other members of your family, grandparents. Mm -hmm. He's calling the shots. 
He makes the decisions. And you know what I find really difficult? We have to take a break here in a second. But what really annoys me, and thank you for sharing information with me. I hope I'm not stepping out of line here. But when you receive communication from the parole board, from their media people or their public relations people, public whatever they are, um, they start, folks. It's like you're, you're their buddies. Hey, folks. I find that, I find that reprehensible. Um, we're not sure who they're referring to, hey folks, because there's only myself and my, well, it's only my email, so she's adding everyone else's, but I have no idea who she's talking to. No, no, it's, it's, the, so, it's the parole board sending an email to you. Yes, I know. I, 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 I know it is, and, but I don't know who she's referring to if there's 20 people on it, because I don't know who she's talking okay. to. Okay, yeah, exactly. Me. Exactly. There are, to use Church's words, convicts in the prison system who rehabilitate, actually habilitate their lives. Serge says you can't re rehabilitate what's never been habilitated in the first place. But they do it themselves and with some help. He did that. George Lovey, he's, uh, as I understand it, Don Tennis, he's, he's refused uh, programs to help him, hasn't he? Yes, yes, he has. And since 2015, he's been a moderate risk to society because he's decided which programs that he wants to participate in, even though Corrections Services Canada has recommended numerous ones. So since 2015, his risk to society has not changed. So we're asking the question in 2023, now it'll be 2024 what has changed in his demeanor to let us know and society know that he's ready uh, and, and taken all of these um, uh, classes that were recommended uh, too hard. Roy, I'd also like to add, in, this, in our last parole hearing uh, in, uh, in Gravenhurst at Beaver Creek, um, we learned that um, Lovey threatened to kill his uh, Corrections Canada assessment, uh, or not kill, but stab his Corrections Services Canada assessment officer. And he, um, when it was brought up, he said it was a slip of the tongue. Well, I've also mentioned in my report, in my victim impact statement, was it also a gaffe when he shot my mother twice and stabbed my, my father five times. It's also important to remember, too, and I've pointed this out, too, that uh, you know, um, the justice system in Canada looks upon these people as being as receiving rehabilitation, moving back into society. Well, imagine yourself uh, or anybody imagine themselves um, walking out in for just a walk in a, in a peaceful park, uh, having a delightful dinner with friends in a restaurant, going to a sporting event, uh, driving your car on the uh, 401 of the Queenie and all of a sudden looking beside you and there is George Hart of Lovey. <laughs> yeah. You don't think that would upset you and all oh, of a sudden yeah. put you into hysteria? Yeah. Um, of course it would. So I've also said, you know, as, as you know, uh, I'm an angry man. He uh, took away a lot of my life. He's really affected my family. If I ever saw him on the street, there will be a, there would be a confrontation. And I can't say we wouldn't get ugly because it probably would. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just the way it is. If you want to hear more, 
Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.